it organically, really like spontaneously. It's not just going in there and making a noise, folks. <laughs> the Classic Rock Files with Kelly Parker and Mike Young. Hi, Mike. Hey, that's us. Okay, so in our standard uh, lead-off slot for lawsuits, we were just talking this week about the legendary guitar that is going up for auction at Julian's Auctions. This is the 1959 Martin Acoustic that Kurt Cobain used in the uh, MTV Unplugged episode. Shockingly, there's a lawsuit around it. Yeah, the lawsuit seems to be resolved, but there is a big story behind this guitar that I didn't know about. The owner of this guitar that's auctioning it off has been kept anonymous at Julian's Auctions. And people are saying that the guitar owner is actually Isaiah Silva. Who is Isaiah Silva, you might be asking yourself. No idea. Yourself. Well, Frances Bean Cobain was married to Isaiah Silva. Frances Bean, of course, the daughter of Kurt and Courtney Love. And for the past several years, Frances and Courtney have been locked in a tug-of-war lawsuit-wise with Isaiah Silva because Isaiah has the legendary guitar that is up for auction, and he is refusing to give it back because he claimed that it was given to him by Francis as a wedding present, even though he was ordered to give it back as a part of a divorce settlement. Now, you'd think hmm. at that point that, hey, settlement's been reached. We could hire a lawyer. We could get the guitar back. Seems simple to me. Well, Courtney Love never makes things simple. No. So Courtney Love hired Sam Lefty, who was the former manager of Britney Spears, to mount a campaign oh God. <laughs> to pressure Silva to give back the guitar. This is already after the judges had decided that he should give it back. And allegedly, Lefty resorted to threats telling Silva's romantic partner that her child would end up in an orphanage. See, that's not, that's not fair play. So in 2018, a judge granted Silva the guitar in a new settlement, despite a heated argument from Francis and Love, and then he filed a lawsuit accusing Love and Lefty of attempting to kill him to get the guitar back. Love is now demanding that Silva should be given a psychiatric evaluation as part of the lawsuit and said he should not get to keep the guitar. So this guy's just selling it for yeah. cash because I don't want this albatross around my <laughs> neck any longer. Sure. Or maybe to pay legal bills. See, this just goes to show, as I said earlier in the week when we talked about the guitar going up for auction, it's a valuable guitar. Really good guitar. I don't know that they'll use this in their advertising. Martin, those solid guitars. That's the moral of the story you took from this? Yeah. Oh, mine was... Or never get involved with Courtney Love in any way, shape, or form. Mine, That's another one. Mine was far more apocalyptic. Never love anything. That was my, oh, the, moral, wow. the moral of my story. Oh, my God, that is dark. Um, so, uh, yeah, my best bet at this point is for Courtney and Francis to get a million bucks together and just buy the guitar. Then they can have it back. Problem solved. There is no way that between Francis and Courtney Love, they don't have many $1 million segments of their bank account, let alone one needed to start this bidding off. I've never heard it quite described that way, but yeah, uh, Francis Bean, she's got enough T-shirt money alone. Of course she does. Here's what I hope happens in the end. Francis loves her mother. Courtney loves her daughter. I hope that each of them, with their millions of dollars, goes to the auction because you can bid on these things online now. They've got a rep you get, and you can bid from afar. You don't have to sure. be in the location where the guitar is. You can be remotely bidding. Mm -hmm. I hope Courtney says, you know what? I'd love to buy this guitar for Francis uh, so she could have it back. And then Francis is thinking, you know what? I'd love to buy this for my mom so she could have it back. And then they both up the bids on each other, not knowing it was them doing it. <laughs> and things spiral Man. out of control. Are you diabolical? <laughs> well, here's the thing. That's not going to solve anything. This just occurred to me. My snappy legal mind just kicked in. If he sells it and they buy it, they're still going to argue and say it wasn't even yours to sell in the first place. They're going to refuse to pay him? Something like that, yeah. Oh, man. It's not solved. And also, this 
sunny uh, picture that you paint of uh, Courtney and Francis's relationship, if you've been uh, reading up on it the last few years, not quite as sunny as it could be. So you're saying my original takeaway from the story of never love anything was the right one. That's yeah. That's the only part. <laughs> that's the only part of that that works. Okay. This is very sad. Melissa Etheridge has issued a statement following the death of her son Beckett Cipher. He was just 21 years old, and he died as a result of an opioid addiction, as she announced. You ask, well, why are we bringing up Melissa Etheridge here? This is the child that she had with her partner, Julie Cipher. They are no longer together. He was born in 1998, the second of two children. And this was a child she had via artificial insemination. And it was revealed shortly after Beckett turned a year old that the sperm in this artificial insemination process came from David Crosby. That was a big story yeah, in the music nobody, industry. Nobody saw that one coming. No, he but- had like... A million to one odds that it was David Crosby. Especially after what had happened in his life, because 1996, that's not too, too long after he gets out of prison, where he had to kick the drug habits. He'd also had a liver replaced back in 1984, I think it was. So he'd been through his stuff. All of a sudden, here he's donating sperm. Now, how does that happen? Well, apparently, David Crosby and his wife, Jan, are vacationing in Hawaii, and they, on the beach, I guess, run into Melissa Etheridge and Julie Cipher. Former wife, by the way, of actor Lou Diamond Phillips. So anyway, Jan Crosby... There's a name I haven't heard for many years. So apparently Jan Crosby, just out of the blue, went, Hey, Dave, you should donate this sperm. It came from her. She said, it just fell out of my lips. It could have something to do with, I believe, that human beings are called on to have beings come through them. And they were talking about this. And I had my five-month-old son on my chest, and I saw a longing in them and a love. And I knew that it was deep and that it was pure and that it was true. At the time, they've since broken up, of course. That's how this all came about. Now, Cypher and Etheridge actually live side by side. Like so Chip they, and Pepper used to live? Well, kind of. Lake of the Woods? Yeah, that wasn't the, <laughs> wasn't the first pair that I thought of, but yeah, what, exactly. Bert and Ernie like was that. yours? That was Bert and Ernie that I was thinking of, yeah. And uh, so they live side by each in houses so that they can raise their kids together. And uh, David Crosby has remained a presence in their kids' lives. So all of them have lost Beckett Cipher now at the age of 21. And because you mentioned Lou Diamond Phillips, just occurred to me that in this coronavirus pandemic we're currently living in, he was the star of the uh, 1990s horror film Bats. I see. So just so you know (laughs) that I know how to keep things on topic. So what you're saying is the pandemic only has a couple of degrees of separation from Lou Diamond Phillips. That's right. One degree of separation. One degree. Bats, I guess. Yeah. He and Ozzy connected as well Lou through Bats. Di- Ozzy gets all the bat credit, but Lou Diamond Phillips, he was doing his part as well. So okay. between Ozzy, Dracula, Lou Diamond Phillips, we got Bats covered. Now we got to go down the uh, wormhole of uh, videos, and this is really cool. Actually, it came up in the news this week. Matt Sorum was talking. More on that in just a second. Queen has announced that the Freddie Mercury tribute concert, which took place in London in 1992, is going to be streamed on the Queen YouTube channel starting tomorrow to raise money for the WHO's work against the pandemic. Yeah, and there's a catch to this. Uh, Tomorrow at 1 p.m. it will go live, and it will stay up there until Sunday at 1 p.m. 48 hours you have to watch this thing, and if you feel so inclined, kick in some cash. There'll be a donate button on the page. Like you said, that money will go to the WHO's work against the coronavirus pandemic, and Google will match every dollar and then double it. So for every dollar you donate, Google will donate too. And if you remember, Post Malone did this with his Nirvana covers that he did a couple weeks back. And last time I checked that donation total, it was well over $4 million raised. So expect the same from Queen here with a lot of people probably never having seen this concert, but just heard about it. I mean, 1992, 30 years ago, this 
took place five months after the death of Freddie Mercury. So many young fans that have discovered Queen through Bohemian Rhapsody, the film, um, have never seen this. And this is one of those true moments in terms of a live concert experience that people talk about for years and years after. Well, it was one of the early ones uh, because uh, the first big one that we know of, as far as fundraisers, was Live Aid, 1985. Queen, obviously. Legendary performance by then. But uh, these fundraisers, these big monster fundraiser concert events, hadn't happened that much. So there was that one in uh, Live Aid, and then this one was really the next huge one. Now, I mentioned Matt Sorum. He was talking recently in an interview, and he was asked about the greatest single night of his career. What was it? And he mentioned that night. Probably one of my greatest experiences was the Freddie Mercury tribute, which was done at Wembley Stadium, and we were invited to open the show. And it was us and Metallica, and then uh, Queen came out. Probably one of the most incredible shows. I mean, backstage was David Bowie, you know, Annie Lennox, uh, Robert Plant, Elton. Elton and Axel did Bohemian Rhapsody and just crushed I remember meeting Elizabeth Taylor. I drank with Liza Minnelli and George Michael. Like, just one of those nights that you just will never... It was sort of like being in a dream world. You know what I mean? Walking out going, wow. You know, Wembley Stadium sold out. You know, when I look back at especially Guns N' Roses, it's just sort of a surreal feeling. It's like almost like watching a movie on somebody else's movie. Yeah. Like, and you're in it. It's, it's just... It's just so weird. Did you know that Matt Sorum talked like that? No, voice totally took me <laughs> off guard. And of all the people at that concert, he was most impressed with Liza Minnelli and Elizabeth Taylor. Yeah. Again, Matt Sorum, not the people I would expect him to gravitate towards. Exactly. Especially when Bowie, Annie Lennox, Elton John were yeah. there performing. Yeah. Elton John, when you go to the page and watch this this weekend, notice Elton John, exact same haircut as Jim Carrey and Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> Oh, it was that period. Yeah. That was the early period of his hair pieces, and they weren't that good in spite of his millions. It's, uh, it's a scene, man. But this concert, um, notable for all the great collaborations. I talk about Elton, his performance with Axel, David Bowie and Annie Lennox getting together. Uh, just so many great performances of Queen songs. Onward here, down the wormhole. Uh, Sammy Hagar in the circle. Stop right there. Love it already. They've released another lockdown cover from the quarantine sessions. Buffalo Springfield's For What It's Worth. This is what that sounds like. There's a man with a gun over there. Telling me I got to beware. I got to beware. Now, that's a a clip that's a little bit longer because the more I listened to it, the more I wanted to hear of it. Sammy uh, singing that first verse and then starting to croon, and I was like, oh, I want to hear more. And then Michael Anthony's high harmonies, they kick in. I wanted to hear more. And then Vic with that guitar work, love this. You do not. I appreciate their efforts. This is the only one that that hasn't landed with me. I I love the original so much. This is a very hard song to cover um, without it kind of losing the message. 
that the song has. I think that the message is gone at this point. It's too rock and roll, good time feeling. It really, just the way it's arranged and the way uh, the instrumentation is kind of sparse in the original, the, the message and the impact of the song really lands with me. So for me, it's just a tough song to cover. Would it interest you to know that the message that we've always taken from For What It's Worth, I mean, you always see it played over the uh, footage of the 1968 Democratic Convention in Chicago where the rioting happened and the cops beating the snot out of people. You always see it in things like that, which is part of the meaning of the song for us. Would it interest you to know that it was written about teenagers rioting on Sunset Strip in Los Angeles because they had imposed a curfew there that the kids did not like? That's what the song Much is like about. Much like Twisted Sister, We're Not Gonna Take It. It's a version of We're Not Gonna <laughs> Take It by Twisted Sister. One of my favorite uses of that song, not over top of war protesting, but mm-hmm. war itself, uh, was in the movie Three Kings. Oh, I love that Mark movie. Wahlberg and George Clooney. It was played over top of them walking through the desert uh, in their fatigues yeah. and whatnot. I don't know, it just resonated with me, that scene with that song playing. Um, <laughs> I don't know why, but it uh, is such a great song by Buffalo Springfield. Love that movie, great movie. Okay, finally, while you're down the wormhole of videos, the Rock Hall of Fame has opened its vault and uploaded hundreds of video clips from past induction ceremonies to YouTube. Yeah, there's over 200 up there right now, and they range from last year's induction ceremony where Radiohead, The Cure, Stevie Nicks, Roxy Music went in. Uh, There's some performance footage, Stevie Nicks teaming up with Harry Styles for Stop Dragging My Heart Around, as well as each act's induction speech. They've gone through some favorites from over the years. Neil Young's induction in 95, in which Eddie Vedder introduced him, and then they collaborated for a song. Talking Heads reunion Mm -hmm. in 2002, where they were inducted. Prince... 2004. Stop right there, Prince. That jam. No, this is not that jam. But the jam has (laughs) got to be up there. One of the single greatest moments of rock and roll. It was probably up there from before, but this is his induction where he plays through Sign of the Times, Let's Go Crazy, and Kiss. And then there's some great collaborations. Mick Jagger and U2 in 2009. Zeppelin and Aerosmith in 95. Pretenders and Neil Young in 2005. So lots of uh, artists working together which has kind of been the theme. They have to have the Prince jam up there. They just have to. It's one of the greatest performances of all time. That's the video where Prince makes his guitar disappear at the end, right? Throws it off stage and then it's just gone. There's a story behind that. He would often throw his guitar at the end of performances. He'd throw his guitar into the audience where his roadie was there to catch it. Okay. And then for whatever reason, in that performance that night, if you watch it, you'll see, or there are photographs at least, of Oprah standing there holding it. Apparently, before the performance, Prince had said, okay, we'll do this thing. I'll throw it in the air. You catch it down in the front row there. And then you please hand my guitar to Oprah. Oprah holds it for a few seconds, and a couple of shots are taken, and then uh, she gives it back to the roadie who gives it back to Prince. That's what happened. It didn't disappear. It was very much like a magic trick. Yeah, an illusion. Yeah, that's what they call it. They should put that clip on that Penn & Teller show where you (laughs) can sort of stump them and let them figure out how he did it. That is the classic Rock Files, 94.3 The Drive music director, Mike Young. Thank you. Thank you.